0: Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It's another week, and you should know who this is. This is Tyler Schaff, and I am the co host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And yet again, Mike, we are on a streak. I've got you back out I'm of here. the Family guys. You're here. <laughs> He's here, and I didn't have <laughs> to chase him this time. You actually chased me down. That's right. Yeah. That's because I've escaped the rock temporarily. I'm I'm in uh, I'm on the mainland if, as they say. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You got three places. I I got to figure out which of the three places you're going to be at.
0: It was hard. So I went to the cabin for Thanksgiving. It was hard to leave on Sunday, but my daughter was in Tarpon Springs in Tampa, so uh, she's here from Seattle. So I drove back from the cabin to spend some time with her, and then I'm here in Tarpon Springs uh, getting some housekeeping things taken care of with one of our properties that we own in our investment fund. Those of you uh, know that we bought a, a home that we're going to be converting, that we were going to be converting into an ALF. And uh, we've got a little change of pivot there. So I'm here in town taking care of that pivot, which is part of, when, in part what we're going to talk about this week. How was your Thanksgiving, Mike?
1: So I'm married now. We talked about that in a
0: few episodes. <laughs> it it uh, still makes me shudder when I think about that. that part I know,
1: me it. too. It's yeah. kind of nice saying that. Yeah, she's yeah. my wife now.
0: I should probably call her and check in on her from time to time. It's like, you okay? <laughs> if he's mean to you, just tell Uncle Tyler I'll come out to sort him out.
1: <laughs> She's caught the bug of cooking. I love oh, it. Boy. I, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she cooked some Thanksgiving dinner. We met some friends. A big Santana band showed up in the living room and jammed, and it was fun. It was really cool.
0: You know, it's funny. When I get up to the cab. I always do all the cooking at home. And it's because Jill's a great cook, but I love to cook. It's a difference. side. For me, it's a passion. And uh, so I do all the cooking at home. But when we're up at the cabin, Jill gets in this mood where she likes to bake. And we always have a fire going this time of year up there because it's cold. And by cold, for those of you in know Ohio, I mean like, you know, 50, <laughs> which is cold for North Florida. But um, I had my fire going all weekend. And I've got one of those tripod things that goes over the fire. You can put a, 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 a Dutch oven on top of.
1: Oh yeah!
0: Oh my God, she made homemade banana bread from the banana tree in our behind our house in Key West. She made uh, muffins or biscuits, whatever you call them. She made a huge pot of chili. Uh, it was and I I cooked the turkey on the grill. I slow cooked it in my big green egg for like all day. It was amazing, mm. absolutely amazing. I think I gained ten pounds being in the woods. I had to come out of the woods just to lose some weight.
1: <laughs> Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday.
0: It is. It's, you, it's you the only
1: holiday it's okay to gorge. <laughs> yes.
0: Absolutely. I gotta get have a, had to come back to civilization and have a come to Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With hey my you, diet. You you touched on something that I find interesting and maybe not everybody knows. So your daughter is a a passive income convert, isn't she now?
0: She is. Yep. She was a big time believer in landlords are evil and and you know, you should do whatever you can to help your tenants, which I still believe is true. Very uh, liberal mindset. And uh, now she's in a place in her life where she's 28 years old or coming up on 28. And uh, she's fine as a landlord. She owns a rental property. She's coming to some tough realizations. Um, and not to go too far off topic, what we're talking about this week, but it's important to understand that as things are going on in the world, guys, you may currently own rental property or maybe the house you live in. And if you, ha- if you have, you probably realize your financial picture has changed recently. At least here in Florida, property taxes are skyrocketing. Uh, my property taxes on my properties in Florida across the board have gone up between 30 and 40% depending on the property. I've got some unimproved land that went up 30% and I have apartment buildings that went up 40%. Uh, insurance has gone up between 25 and 40% depending on where you are and what your property is. My daughter experienced a 35% increase in her monthly mortgage payment for her rental property. Because the taxes and insurance both went up this year, uh, which jacked up her payment. Now, that basically sucked up her cash flow. She was making $350 a month in cash flow, uh, positive. That's because daddy was managing it for her and she wasn't paying a manager. Uh, Well, and that only would have been like $150, $160 if there was a manager involved. But still, she was going to positive cash flow either way. She has been positive cash flowing this change in pace has sucked up her cash flow. Now, daddy has resigned as the property manager because it's time for big girl, big, big girl to take over. I did it for the first year to show her the ropes, um, got a tenant in place. And now we're at this juncture where, you know, what do you do? The bill came in, it's $350 a month more to own the same condo just because of taxes and insurance. Fortunately, um, it's a condo that she bought to live in. So Normally, guys, the guys that have been listening to me for a long time, I always tell you, don't buy a condo as a rental property. My daughter did not buy this as a rental property. She bought this to live in, and then her situation changed. She broke up with her boyfriend. She bought him out of the condo, and then she decided to move to Seattle. Well, the market was continuing to appreciate, so she decided it was her decision to keep the place. And so far, it's been a good one. Uh, She's going to profit in about a year's time about hundred grand in equity since she's owned it. Not too shabby, but we got her a great deal. Right. Uh, did the renovation on it and she's going to come out of it about a hundred grand if she sells it. But it made sense as a rental, provided that the HOA didn't go up. We weren't really thinking too much about the taxes and the insurance going crazy. Well, fortunately, the HOA has not raised their prices yet, but eventually they're going to because they're going to have to because their expenses have gone up. So that's something to consider. Now, if you're at a point in your rental career, landlord career, now may be a great time to pivot. There is still demand, even with eight percent interest rates, for people to buy properties. Maybe your rental property would be a great house for a first-time buyer. Um, Amanda is on the, the fence, deciding whether or not she should sell this place or keep it. Now, the good news is she's got a three and a half percent interest rate mortgage. Oh yeah, so that is cheap money. Uh, that mortgage is only a year old, believe it or not.
1: <laughs> she got that right a year ago.
0: Yeah, but yeah, a little over yeah, a little over a year ago. Wow, well, oh, she got the tail end of it. Huh. Well, my lenders, Mike. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they took care of my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so we, yeah, we used every possible resource we could. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Lincoln Lending for hooking up my daughter with a great rate, um, a lot lower than it probably would have been on, on the open on the open market. But so now she's at the crossroads, right? What is she going to do? Which kind of leads us into this week's episode. We're going to talk about zoning, um, and we're going to talk about it from a perspective of what mike and i have gone through with zoning we've learned some valuable lessons and we want to talk to you about those lessons because it's because of zoning that we too are at a junction where we had to decide do we want to continue with this particular property uh pursuing what is our right as far as zoning goes what we're entitled to i should say uh or do we want to pivot and move on to a a different project so with that i guess we'll jump into that right mike
1: yeah we've had quite a few. There's experts on them, but we learned a lot from them on some yes. of these podcast episodes a few months yes. ago, I forget his name. Um, but of course, once you get your hands dirty, and of course, more likely when you get your feet in the door in city council and you try to get things to move, you realize that things aren't as black and white as the law makes you think it would be, even with attorneys.
0: Right. There is no better teacher than experience, and there is something called theory Mm-hmm. And then there's reality. Now, theoretically, the way the laws are written, we were within our rights to take that big house and convert it to a 14 bed assisted living. It's crystal clear written into the city code and the county code. What we can do. And as it relates to zoning with that property. Uh, so we bought the property before we bought the property when we we're in the due diligence pays, that's what they should back up. I reached out to people that I know downtown. One of them is one of the higher ups in the zoning division. And I said, I want to buy this property, but if I buy it, I want to make it into an ALF. And I see here in the zoning code, it allows for an assisted living home, a community residential home, which is more than seven to 14 beds. She agreed. I said, okay, so it's is that pretty cut and dry? She goes, yeah, it's really not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You just file an application. You ask for a conditional use permit. And then you, then as soon as the board approves it, off you go. Great. With that commitment, we made a a decision to purchase the property. Then we find out that it's a little bit more complex than that. Mm -hmm. What we've learned and we really can't prove is that there is, there is, there's something called NIMBY, which is not in my backyard. Mike, you ran into that in your neighborhood in St. Pete. Yeah, I know you're running into it in Salida because there's people are going to be, you know, want to make changes in the Salida that the neighborhood's not going to support. For example, wanting to tear down history in Salida, which is a crime in my opinion. You're going to start to see this stuff. We've seen it here in Tarpon Springs. There are some powers that be in the city, not necessarily in government, that do not want an ALF in their backyard. Even though the law makes it such that it can happen. So, uh. One of the takeaways that we come off with right out of the gate is just because the city officials agree with your business plan does not mean they will vote for it or allow it to happen. And you might think, and I've had people talk to me about this, Mike, we've been on phone calls with people saying, well, they can't do that and you can go do this. It's like, well, sure I could, but the reality of it is, you know, I'm going to, we're going to kick sand in someone's face.
1: Yeah, and what what you mean by that is we were got we have advice to go to the state, go to the federal level, and come down on the city with with lawsuits. But correct that might get us to where we want to be, but we'll only have one ALF in town because nobody was going to want to talk to us or do business business with us again.
0: Right, and that's something you guys got to consider when you you know how hard are you going to flex to get this thing done now. This was our first project of the fund. Mike and I really wanted to make this thing work and I was all set to flex. But as we sat and thought, talked about it and thought about it, and we actually I remember we were sitting in Salida at your place having breakfast out in Colorado talking about it. And it's like, you know, how hard do we want to push this thing? We want to make sure we get a return for our investors. But that said, it's going to cost us a bunch of money to sue the city and we have the ability to lose. <laughs> That's something to consider. So we did a moderate flex where we sent them a very well-written let very well written letter from our attorneys. We had two attorneys at the time uh, working with us on this. One was a zoning expert. Another one was a local Tarpon Springs attorney that has a real estate background and is very well-known in town. Uh, so he's respected by the city. He's a good dude. Uh, not a shady guy, nothing like that there are attorneys out there that are not respected at all by the local municipalities because they have a bad reputation. We had interviewed one of those attorneys and she was kind enough to to say to us right out of the bat, remember that Mike? She goes, "I don't think I'm the girl for you because I just beat them bad at their own at their own game and they don't like me." <laughs> so they're going to fight harder just because you hired me." I was like, "I appreciate her being that honest." Thoughts on that, looking Mike?
1: back, looking back, that was kind of the warning too, that this is not a city you really want to mess with. Even though you know you're in the right, and you you know you have the attorneys and the legal that's power right. to do. Now we think back in her reaction, she says, "I don't want to. I you don't want to hire me in this city anymore because I'm kind of blacklisted because I won." Right. That's a good warning about what can happen if you do push it too hard.
0: That's correct. Yeah, I just thought that you're all right. You're, that's definitely a good flag. You know, that's like, uh oh, (laughs) well, what's going on? So as we went through on this whole thing, we started getting a lot of opinion. The city weighs in and gives their opinion on this stuff, right? Opinion. Um, Opinion. That's correct. (laughs) Uh, What we found out is that in a lot of cases, like, for example, like the city attorney is not an expert in zoning. Who knew? That's because the city attorney is an expert in law, not necessarily zoning law. So she would weigh in and make decisions on things or influence the city staff as far as what decisions they were allowed to make based on her interpretation of zoning law, which did not actually agree with prior legal precedent. Yeah. I found that interesting. So you guys are probably thinking, what is all that word Saladie just said? Well, basically, there's a very, there's a, a set of procedures written out. And the way they're written is to leave some room for interpretation. She basically told the city, you can't give them what they want because of density. Uh, we fought back. as like, well, that's not what your own code says. And she would just ignore us. And when, Anytime we talked about their density calculation, it fell on deaf ears. They would not even acknowledge it. Basically, what they're saying is, we know that we're stalling things and dragging things out but we're not willing to budge on this because we think zoning every time it's like during back in 2020 and 2022 all you you could end any conversation by saying you're a racist yeah remember that it's like mike that was a rough landing shut up you're a racist oh i'm sorry i'm not a racist i'm not you're canceled okay uh, that's what was going on so it became very very interesting for us every time we would we would find all this case law, all this reference and in these letters that went back and forth and the meetings and the phone calls that we have with the city and uh, all the different members in the city departments. We, we'd seem like we were getting pushback at every single angle. Um, let's talk about the lessons we learned about over flexing as far as too much information.
1: Yeah. So we're always a big proponent of hiring attorneys with experience. And so we hired a national attorney. Uh, She actually deals with international zoning laws in regards to assisted living, uh, other kind of group homes throughout the country. She educates other attorneys, and the city councils are basically about federal law, which is why we thought, okay, let's use her. If we have to, we can go to the federal level and sue, which we decided, obviously, uh, that's not the best route. But in her experience, the initial letter that she drafted to the city Because of her experience, she said, okay, well, we need to prove that our model is economically feasible. And if the city does not approve us, we can't operate it as a business. Well, that might've worked maybe in places, maybe like New York city or perhaps, but when you're dealing with a small town, what we realized is we gave them too much information. And matter of fact, we gave them ammunition because now we're the big corporation. Right. And yeah, and they didn't want to, they didn't want to see that. Oh, we, they didn't. It was, they felt like it wasn't their job to make sure we're profitable, which is true. And Basically, what, enforced-
0: well, let me, let me add one thing in there. What we were saying to them was your law says it's okay to do a six bed without permission. But for us to do a six bed, we would have to lose money. And your community needs an ALF in a big way because there was a massive shortfall of ALFs. Um, so you're, if we did what your law says we can do without permission, it wouldn't work, which is why you have a shortfall. So we need to do 14 beds so it's economically viable economically because viable. nobody's going to do it unless it's economically viable, which is great advice from a legal perspective. But the problem is we're not dealing with legal experts. We're dealing with regular people that happen to hold government jobs. There was no feel good in that. They just thought Donald Trump showed up to Tarpon Springs and was going to put in a high rise, which was not the case. Because we let that financial information out, they judged us based on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we were the bad people. So That's in right. retrospect, I mean, at the time, we just took the advice of our attorney, which we always recommend. But sometimes you got to think about, okay, that attorney's experience, does it really apply to this small town? And more importantly, do we need to show all of our cards at once, which is, I think was the big problem, too.
0: I think so, too. It was great in theory, but in practice, it didn't work out to our advantage. Now, it's worked all over the country. It, this attorney has done this on several occasions, and it's worked very well. When you can prove that the what the city wants you to do is not economically viable, it gets them more on board with the reason why you want to do things your way. Totally sound theory. But in this case, because I'm not saying we're blaming the attorney for anything, it's no. sound advice. It's just that it didn't work in this case. There's no sure way to get through any of this stuff is what I, my big takeaway was.
1: Yeah. Maybe because like we're leading on to, what we're learning is that the city council is not necessarily going to follow their own rules and their own law. That's right. They're, they're lay people. They're That's right. People just like you and I. And you know, if they've been working for the city, if they've been working for government their entire life, maybe they haven't owned a small business, they immediately see financial numbers of a business as the bad guy they're the evil business that wants to take in and uh you know t- into our little town and ruin it like you said maybe the whole trump effect or anything that's right They'll, yeah
0: i can tell you a good example of that in key west there's a commissioner by the name of jimmy weekly and jimmy's a great guy he's a big advocate for affordable housing this that and the other but he's been in government for 35 years he has served as mayor for two terms or three terms as key west mayor and he's still, he's now on city council and he's been in city council or mayorship for 35 years. He's actually trying to change the laws to allow him to stay longer because he's technically terming out now. Um, but his real job is he's a butcher. He owns a grocery store, a little mom and pop called Fosto's grocery store. If you've ever been to Key West, he owns Fosto's. Again, great guy, but a lot of his expertise A lot of things that he weighs in on, he is not an expert on, only because his time as city commissioner or mayor doesn't give him any expert solutions towards housing. Good God, man, you've been working for the government in the city of Key West for 35 years, and housing has never gotten any cheaper. So whatever you've tried thus far has not worked. Maybe you step aside and let someone else take a swing at it. Just a thought. And that's what we're seeing with these this little government. I'm not faulting the government worker. You just got to understand that the people that, like you had said, Mike, the people that we're dealing with, they're lay people. They're like Mike and I. I mean, Mike and I, I, I could go sit on the board at, at the City of Tarpon Springs and join them. Mike, you could go do it in Salida, Colorado, or now that you own property in Tarpon Springs, you could do it here in Tarpon Springs too. Um, but you have to understand it's it's kind of like you're you're and not, you're not dealing generally with the best in their field. Here's why. Let's look at a building inspector versus a contractor. Well, the building inspector in a lot of cases used to be a contractor, but now they've stepped down and taken a government job for whatever reason. Now I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not faulting anybody that works for the government. Heck, I worked for the government uh, at one point, but let's be honest. I mean, it, it's 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 like being a real estate agent or being a guy that teaches people how to be a real estate agent. Usually the people that teach how to be a real estate agent never really made any money as real estate agents. So the only way they could make money is to teach real estate flight instructors why do people continue to be flight instructors mike when you're making a gob of money in the in the majors uh flying the big jets the guy that's was your flight instructor makes 20 percent of what you do Mm -hmm. you know uh great teacher not as great in an execution right
1: that's right yeah there's a big difference yep
0: so let's talk about um, current zoning versus planned use. And this is coming up all over the country. You have in your local area that you're doing business, your MSA, current zoning, the way things are now, the way the laws are. But understand, in the last decade, many municipalities, cities, counties, states have what they call a future use plan in effect. Now, in a lot of cases, that has not come into effect yet. For example, in Pinellas County and in uh, City of Springs. It is still future because it hasn't come into play yet, but it will. Same thing in Monroe County has not down by the Florida Keys. It is coming. It's been written out and approved. It just not has not taken effect. Usually, what they'll do when they make these these new rules, they'll put them in effect in like a year or two. That way, if there is discussion and things to fight over, they have that time to do it before it actually becomes law. Because guys, once some, once something becomes law, it's very difficult to overturn that law. So that's why they'll announce these laws far in advance. Now, I'm not an attorney. This isn't legal advice, anything like that. But in a nutshell, that's kind of how this stuff works. So they are already, the municipalities, using this future land use to make determinations based on today's problems.
1: Which is, we went in thinking, well, if it's not approved, then that's not the law yet. So they can't use that as justification to make decisions. However, we go back to the whole, these are lay people and they're very, you know, they've got their emotions behind them. They're, they're, uh, the planned use is their idea of how they want to spend the next four years in their office developing the city. Right. So even the city attorney brought up future land use, future land use. Like, wait, but that's not current zoning. But apparently they can still use that idea of what they want the city to look like to implement their zoning decisions.
0: That's right. They even went so far with us to say, well, this property will fall within the historic district once we have it established. Yes. Like, what yeah. do you mean once you have it established? Well, it's about two years away, but why are we talking about something that may or may or may not happen? Because this had not been voted into law. That's just something they're working on, like a pet project. Well, if I get my way, it's going to be future. This is going to be the whole, the new history town historic district two years from now. It's like, well, that's like saying. I may grow a unicorn in two years. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to buy all my future hats with a hole in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. I can't understand why my hair well, my, well if I had hair, why my hair get wet when it rains? That's because I never grew that unicorn horn to plug the hole. <laughs> uh, one other thing that we came across that I think is important to mention because this one kind of shocked me how much of an impact it had. It was basically, The big argument they had, and that's density. Hmm. I'm like, Jill, this was this one. If Jill listens to this episode, she'll be like, ah, geez, because Jill became an expert in density. (laughs) Yeah. This was Jill's hot button because based on the city's density regulations, they do not apply to that property. They Hmm. basically unwound. The way their code is written, they unwound their argument about density. The city acknowledged that Jill was correct. Yes, we understand she's correct. And we understand that we can't even really enforce that part of the law. But we're still not going to give you your conditional use permit either way. (laughs) So after all that, they basically came back with, sue us. And if you do, we'll fight you. And if you win, then yes, we're going to pay your legal fees. But if you lose, you're going to pay our legal fees. And now, guys, this is the tough part. Mike, you and I had a lot of conversations about this. I've killed one or more than one bar tab on the, on this topic, I can tell you. Uh, I sat down, you sat down, and we've talked to some of the foremost zoning experts available. Fortunately, in most cases, that was over drinks or dinner somewhere on our own dime, and we didn't have to pickpocket the investors for the advice we got. And we had to get legit on... Making a decision that made sense with the, what's best for our investors and us because we're in this together. How much is it worth winning this fight? And at the end of the day, with the density consideration, basically said that uh, it proved that the city doesn't even understand their own laws. Number one. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we fought this, we had a 50 50 shot at winning because the only person who's going to weigh in on this would be a judge and the, our attorney reminded us that the judge she guaranteed us is not going to be an expert in zoning that's right yeah so we're going to have to make a compelling argument based on what's r- rational when the city is une- unequivocally fighting this on every nail every every avenue so in the end guys we had to make a decision to sell this property even though yes we could push and potentially win 50/50 shot but if we don't win, we could waste a year or two of time. That's lost revenue. We could lose legal fees, which on the front end, our legal fees weren't all that bad. Uh, but they could get a lot worse. You get into federal court and you start suing for fair housing and things like that. Your $5,000 attorney fees wind up being $50,000 attorney's fees. I, we were not in a position, Mike and I, to invest our investors' money unwisely. And uh, we believe to do so would be irresponsible. And being a good steward of our investor's capital, we decided it would make more sense just to stop what we're doing and sell the property. Here's the why I say this. I've always told you guys from day one, this is the way I was taught it stands true today. You make your money when you buy. Now, we have this property listed. We, we bought it for $325,000 we just put it on the market at $525,000. Will we get $525,000? No. Probably not. But we're going to get more than $325,000. And the reason I know this is the day we bought, right before we bought it, even though I've been doing this for 20 plus plus years, or Mike's been doing this for about a decade, uh as both a homeowner and an investor himself, we decided to do, pull and get an appraisal based on what it would be worth renovated way back then. And that appraisal is significantly higher than where we have it, uh, where we bought it at. So even with a full rehab, we would still have a nice chunk of equity in there. Not as much as we would do with our, have us with our ALF plan, because our ALF business plan is far more uh, financially fruitful. But considering what's going on in the marketplace right now, with interest rates being the way they are, we did not want to get into a situation where we're holding a property and doing a cosmetic uh, flip it didn't make sense for us we would rather take our money take our get our equity back and put it into another asset and that's the decision we made thoughts on that mike
1: yeah and and all this uh my uh, my w2 job at, at the airlines my airline is right now on trying to merge with another airline yeah. and the federal government sued them now it's turning out the federal government is losing and losing bad however Federal city governments are using money that's not theirs. So we learned through this whole experience is, yes, the city doesn't even know their rules. No, the city doesn't even have to follow their own rules because they know all they have to do is just sue you where they get unlimited supplies of money to pay their attorneys. And if they win or they lose, they don't care. And they figure, well, that will be the decision made. Of course, anybody else who's not in the government. We have a very finite amount of financial funds to to fight it to make it happen, so that's right you know that's why I you mean know, maybe Trump fights like mad millions of dollars of legal fees because he knows the return on investment is worth it. It's that's such right. a large scale that's what we're learning on this too i mean just so just because the law is black and white, it's not black and white because they've got the power of the purse to make their own interpretation and eventually fight you.
0: that's true. Guys, I don't want you in any way to think that we're pointing the finger at the city. No, no. Um, they've taken a stance that they believe in. They believe in in what their 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 side of the story. Um, they don't believe that we're entitled to do what we want to do. That it doesn't comply with the current zoning laws. We we simply disagree. Understand? There was no backbiting, arguing, fighting. Nobody threatened it, anybody. We didn't say we're going to sue you, and they didn't. They didn't beat us up or anything like that. We're, so we have no bad taste in our mouth. It was a, I'll call it a, a polite society conversation. I would say a gentleman's a discussion, but there was ladies involved too. Uh, it was polite people having converse having rational conversation. Nobody raises their voice, gets mad. Okay. I got a little mad behind the scenes, but the city didn't know that. <laughs> uh, and that's really what it came down to. And it didn't work out. So we can sit there and, you know, kick sand in the sandbox and go, then we're going to sue. Or we could just move on and go find something better to do. The key here is, guys, is that we bought the asset right in the first place. Now, had we done this on a wing and a prayer and paid like 500000 for it, ooh, I'd be in trouble because I'd have to be giving excuses to investors of why things aren't going the way they are. But the good news is we have equity in, the situ- in this scenario. And while apartment syndicators are doing cash calls right now for their investors, our investors are well protected because they've got a boatload of equity in an asset. Is it cash flowing? No, but it's also not cash bleeding either. And that's the most important thing. Our overhead is basically the insurance on the property and the water bill. That's it. And we're not using any water. So we're just paying the base water fee of like, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks a month. Now, my final takeaway from this, and I want your opinion on this as well, Mike, is that zoning can absolutely make you a ton of money if you understand what's feasible in regards to zoning. And we understood what was feasible, but here's the difference. There are two types of uses or that, that are available. There's permissible use, which means you can do this without our permission. And there is conditional use. Now on this particular property, the permissible use was to use it as an assisted living facility provided there were six or less residences living on the property. So we could right now make it into an ALF, six beds or less. The problem is it's a huge house and it's overkill. Six beds or less with the, rehab that we'd have to do to make it an alf it wouldn't cash flow appropriately for what we want uh conditional use is when you need the government's permission they're like wolf that's kind of like hey maybe we'll consider that pitch the idea but know that we can say no so i put way too much weight on the city employee downplaying the importance of the conditional use permit uh and and based on that you know we got egg on our face when not to some degree not really but they said no because for whatever reason, they just were not having the 14 beds. Uh, and, and that's really the end takeaway. Do you need permission or don't you? The gold in this and where you guys can make money is on every property you look at, look at the zoning and look what's available under permissible use. Forget about conditional because conditional. I mean, again, as we learned the hard way, you need permission, but look at permissible. I'm seeing properties. In my own town of Tarpon Springs, even though I shouldn't even call this my town anymore, I live in Key West, but there is a zoning designation for vacation rentals. That's in the future use plan. So if you bought a single family home that happens to be in that zoning district, it may not be zoned for that right now, but it may be a permissible use. So you could buy the single family home and legally convert it to a vacation rental, which means no government overstep, which means you can make the money you need to make. And there's one example. Maybe you would turn it into a daycare because it's close to a school. If Is that a permissible use? If it is, do your cash flow numbers. Does it make more sense to use this as a daycare instead of a single family home? Parting thoughts on that, Mike?
1: Exactly. So uh, in my hometown of Salida, Colorado, I believe Tarpon Springs too, uh, there's actually a table. It's a table of all the zoning designations, R1, 2, 3, that yes. they all have different codes. And it's a table of what's permissible and what's conditional. You see check marks on each. So if you go through it, let's say you find a lot and it's zoned, I don't know, C2, commercial 2. What does that mean? Well, you go to your chart and say, oh, this is permissible, this is permissible, this is conditional. With conditional, don't get your hopes up. With permissible, permissible, there might be money in there. Uh, matter of fact, in, um, in Salida anyway, there's a lot of zoning permissible uses that haven't been used in decades. In fact, I talked to the city once. They did not even know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> For example, uh, boarding houses is what I'm talking about. Boarding houses is okay. a very old school term, multiple uh, families, multiple people in one building. Well, if you look down, if you get a property that has zoned permissible boarding houses, you might have, you might have hit the jackpot. If you have a construction team and a legal team behind you to sure. build something like that, and you don't have to go begging to the city because their natural response is always going to be no to something that's conditional, by the way. <laughs> if you find permissible, that might be the gold.
0: Well, there are people, like, for example, that happened in Key West. Remember how I used to tell you when we walked down through Key West, look up, Mike.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there was a developer that bought a few buildings on Duval Street that were listed as boarding houses. It was split zoning. It was uh, retail on the first floor and um, boarding house on the second floor. Now, the second floor was empty. There were no walls, no bathrooms, or nothing. But that zoning designation allowed him to build that thing out and turn those into one-bedroom apartments. And he's made himself a killing. He's got like 15 apartments upstairs.
1: Genius. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the goal. If you're going to take any step after this podcast,
0: download
1: your zoning laws and go to the table of permissible and conditional use. Absolutely. Just look
0: at that. Now, guys, for the rest of the year and into 2024, we are putting out webinar after webinar after webinar talking about our new our new plan, which is not really a new plan for us. We've been doing it for the last year, building assisted living facilities, okay? Um, we are on a buy mode. We are looking for properties that we can convert into assisted living. That may consist of multifamily. It may consist of uh, former hotels or single-family homes all in the Pinellas County, Tampa Bay area. If you want to take part in that, if you're an accredited investor or you want to learn more about it, you need to go to cashflowguys.com forward slash webinar. Get signed up. You'll get notified by email when the webinar is. Sign up for the webinar. Get on the webinar and take in the information. And then right in there, in the end, every time we do it, we're going to tell you, give us a call, book an appointment, drop us an email, managers at cashflowguys.com. Let's get on the phone and make some changes, make some good stuff happen for 2024. Uh, it's not too late for 2023 to still be a good year. it was been a great year for us. We've learned a lot, haven't we, Mike? <laughs> yes, quite a bit of an education and we're doing well so guys we'll see you guys on the next one and we'll catch up with you next week this concludes today's episode. today's episode you don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race